Shalom, Libby. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. I don't know what the right word to say. Merry Kwanzaa. Have a good Kwanzaa. I hope you ate a good Kwanzaa. I think it was yesterday. I'm really not sure. Um, any hoots. I guess for reference, today is, who is today? Today is Monday, the 27th of December, 2021. I can't even believe that 2021's like, dawn. <laughs> like what? I feel, I don't know. It's been a long one, but a short one. It's weird. I don't know. The older I get, the more I'm like, what's happening? You know what I'm saying? And existential crisis. I try to avoid that all the time, but it's like always creeping up on me. Anyway, anyway, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I assume you were in the Michigan areas for the for the holidays. Um, based on the baby the baby picture, <laughs> the high school picture you sent. You snapped me of Ryan. Um, but I also spent my holiday in Michigan. We went, oh, oh, we are little dirt birds. Dirty, dirty, dirty dogs. My husband and brother and I, we went, we left on Christmas morning. We arrived Christmas afternoon. We spent Christmas afternoon and evening with the family in the UP. And then... We were like, hmm, where should we sleep? And I was like, I can't lie. I'm very enticed by the thought that we had the other day about just driving back home. So we did that. And my dad was pissed. He's like giving this rant and rave about, you know, sleepy driving. Like literally sleepy driving is as bad or worse than drunk driving. I know. I'm not... I'm not playing. I'm not playing around. I know. Okay. But, um, anyway, we drove home on the next day, but the point is, this is the point. This is no point. There's no point ever to when I'm talking, but I did want to share this with you because I found it comical yet terrifying. Um, while we were there, I interacted with my uncle Jeremy, AKA J Ray. And, um, he's kind of an elusive beast, so to speak, but he doesn't, I don't know. Anyway, so he was there, and we were talking, and we were connecting, you know? I'm talking about Harry Potter, because I, I brought the book, I brought the fourth book with me, and I was reading it to Jared while he was driving, and, um, so anyway, we were, I don't know, we were talking about that and whatever, and then he had mentioned that he had the audiobooks, and that he has the, then he, he left for a while, I don't know, he left for a duration of time and then he showed back up and he had the audiobook on CD of the fifth book. And I just, I, at no point in time did I have the heart to say, my dude, I also low-key made my own audiobook. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like it's an audiobook. It's definitely not audiobook quality, but it like exists out there in the ether for now. And, um, couldn't tell him, was too scared. I don't know. Chickened out. So anyway, I brought it home. So I'm thinking, maybe, maybe this is what I need. So after I finish reading Jerry the Fourth, maybe we'll just listen to it. We'll just listen to the CD. And then it can read, someone else can read to the both of us. What a sweet feeling, you know? Anyway, I don't know. I feel like there is something, there is something delectable about being read to. But there's also, I feel the sweet, sweet power when I read out loud, despite the fact that I'm like half concentrated on how it sounds, but then half trying to pay attention, you know what I'm saying, follow along? Scooty, my duty. Okay, we're, we're trapped inside. We're trapped inside this bare bedroom because Munchie and Jin is over. All right, you can go. I'm letting him out of the room, but he'll probably nudge his way back in, I'm sure. Oh yeah, man, Munchie and Jin's here. That's kind of why I'm holed up, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> I am ready to read to you this next chapter. Oh, yeah, I wanted to say one more thing, Lib. Okay, here's the dealiezel. I know, I'm like the worst because I'm like, excuse me, I'm like burping in your ear. Oh, yeah, 
I'm gonna throw this out there too. I'm a little, Im I've been imbibing. Okay, so I've been, I've got a, a few glasses, you know, maybe a whole bottle. It's nothing, not a big deal of uh, Carmen's Last Inch, which I will say is like my favorite. It's like, it's like so good. I love it so much. It's my favorite wine. It tastes like grape juice that maybe sat along for just a little bit too long, but it's like perfectly sweet. It's not dry at all. It's like grapey, it's delicious, makes you feel good, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but any hoot, so if I slur my words, don't judge me. My mouth is dry, so I might be keep slurping on this last sippy, but that's the last of it. Uh, my other point I was going to make is, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Shoot, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I got nothing. Oh, yeah, 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 I do remember. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm a little spaced out if you catch my drift. <laughs> so I wanted to tell you this. I know that I'm like an actual worse about reaching out to you and being like, hey, I posted a chapter. But it's really, this is how I feel. Because I don't, I, it's hard for me to reach out. And like, I feel like this is a way, a way of reaching out. And then I feel like I don't want to bother you to be like, Boy, I read a chapter for you to listen to, but I want you to be like, whenever you need me to go there and hopefully it's there for you, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm like, I don't want to be like pushing you into listening and stuff. I just, I just want you to know that there is something out there for you to listen to. So I do apologize if I'm dropping the ball frequently, but uh, hopefully I can pick the ball up and go with it. We'll see. New year, new me. Ha <laughs> ha! Just kidding. Hopefully I can get a control over some things and improve myself this next year, but I'm not guaranteeing anything. Okay, whatever. I think reading is, uh, this is like good for me. To do this regularly is like a good thing for me. Um, it was, a, it's, reading is, reading is good for me. Reading is like in a way for me to escape. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love a good story. S tell me a story. Show me a story. You know, I I love it. So, escape with me, will you, Lib? And anyone else who wants to. If you're here and you're not Libby, I'm shook. Shook to my core. <gasps> We're both shook, to be honest. Nobody thought. <laughs> who would have thunk? Nobody, but here we are. We're here together with Chapter Nine, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince by J.K. Rowling. Chapter Nine is entitled The Half Blood Prince. We are getting straight into it. Finally, we're back at Hogwarts. I'm very pumped. We're going to learn about the Half Blood Prince. The chapter art. Um, is as per usual a drawing with some black and white gray etc it is a cauldron it has things bubbling out of it and swirling in the air i don't know it looks magical um there's a little dish it looks like it's got some sort of vegetable or plant matter <laughs> it looks kind of like a chili pepper but also in the same way, it kind of looks like a, a parsnip. Is that what parsnips look like? like? Like fingers? Like little root fingers, you know? Like a like if a fingerling potatoes, you know? Kind of like that, but it's quite skinny. But maybe even, you could might even say it's like a pea pot or a string bean. But I don't know. What can I say? It looks like from the earth. And then we've got a cutting board and a knife. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm like, my nose is honking. Oh, that's a scale. Okay. Sure, we've got a little scale, like, you know, the justice scales. Where it's like a, like a dish on each side and we're like moving up and down. I don't know. Words are hard. <gasps> okay. Might as well read someone else's, right? All right, let's go. The Half-Blood Prince. Harry and Ron met Hermione in the common room before breakfast next morning. 
hoping for some support for his theory. Harry lost no time in telling Hermione what he had overheard Malfoy saying on the Hogwarts Express. But he was obviously showing off for Parkinson, wasn't he? interjected Ron quickly, before Hermione could say anything. Well, she said uncertainly, I don't know. It would be like Malfoy to make himself seem more important than he is. But that's a big lie to tell. Exactly, said Harry. But he could not press the point, because so many people were trying to listen into his conversation, not to mention staring at him and whispering behind their hands. It's rude to point, Ron snapped at a particularly minuscule first boy as they first boy <laughs> first year boy as they joined the queue to climb out of the portrait hole. The boy, who had been muttering something about Harry behind his hand to his friend, promptly turned scarlet and toppled out of the hole in alarm. Ron sniggered. <laughs> I love being a sixth year. And we're going to be getting free time this year. Whole periods when we can just sit up here and relax. We're going to need that time for studying, Ron, said Hermione, as they set off down the corridor. Yeah, but not today, said Ron. Today is going to be a real DOS, I reckon. What the heck is a DOS? I don't know. Hold it, said Hermione, throwing out an arm and holding a passing fourth year, who was... Sorry, I feel like there's like phlegm, if you know what I mean. I don't mean to get too personal up in here, but there's like phlegm. It's like hovering between my nose and my throat, like in there somewhere. Up in there. Okay, whatever. Anyway. The scowling boy handed over the snarling frisbee, ducked, ducked under her arm, and took off after his friends. Ron waited for him to vanish, then tugged the frisbee for Hermione's grip. Excellent, I've always wanted one of these. Hermione's remonstration was drowned by a loud giggle. Lavender Brown had apparently found Ron's remark highly amusing. She continued to laugh as she passed them, glancing back at Ron over her shoulder. Ron looked rather pleased with himself. The ceiling of the great hall was serenely blue and streaked with frail, wispy clouds, just like the squares of sky visible through the high mullioned, the high mullioned windows. While they tucked into porridge and eggs and bacon, Harry and Ron told Hermione about their embarrassing conversation with Hagrid the previous evening. But he can't really think we'd continue care of magical creatures, she said, looking distressed. I mean... When has any of us expressed, you know, any enthusiasm? That's it, though, in it, said Ron. <laughs> in it? That's Jared's always saying, in it. But, f I don't know, for the most irrelevant things. It's, but, it's anyway, it's a joke for us now, so it's hilarious to read it on the page. That's it, though, in it, said Ron, swallowing an entire fried egg whole. We were the ones who made the most effort in classes because we like Hagrid. But he thinks we like the stupid subject. Do you reckon anyone's going to go on to Newt? Neither Harry nor Hermione answered. There was no need. They knew perfectly well that nobody in their year would want to continue care of magical creatures. They avoided Hagrid's eye and returned his cheery wave only half-heartedly when he left the staff table ten minutes later. After they had eaten... They remained in their places, awaiting Professor McGonagall's descent from the staff table. The distribution of class schedules was more complicated than usual this year, but Professor McGonagall needed first to perform that... To perform. What are you saying? Needed first to confirm that everybody had achieved the necessary owl grades to continue with their chosen newts. Hermione was immediately cleared to continue with charms, defense against the dark arts, transfiguration, herbology, arithmancy, ancient runes, and potions, and shot off to a first period ancient runes class without further ado. Neville took a little longer to sort out. His round face was anxious as Professor McGonagall looked down his application and then consulted his owl results. Herbology fine, she said. Professor <laughs> Professor Sprott will be delighted to see you back with an outstanding owl, and you qualify for defense against the dark arts with exceeds expectations. But the problem is transfiguration. I'm sorry, Longbottom, but an acceptable really is, isn't good enough to continue to newt level. I just don't think you'd be able to cope with the coursework. Neville hung his head. Professor McGonagall peered at him through her square spectacles. 
Why do you want to continue with Transfiguration anyway? I've never had the impression that you particularly enjoyed it. Neville looked miserable and muttered something along. I'm sorry, something about my grandmother wants. Hmm, snorted Professor McGonagall. It's high time your grandmother learned to be proud of the grandson she's got rather than the one she thinks she ought to have, particularly after what happened at the ministry. Truly, my grandmother. Just kidding, Grandma. But not really. Don't think less of me just because I have tattoos. It's rude. You know I'm still the same person! <laughs> Neville turned very pink and blinked confusedly. Professor McGonagall had never paid him a compliment before. I'm sorry, Longbottom, but I cannot let you into my newt class. I see that you haven't exceeds expectations in charms, however. Why not try for a newt in charms? My grandmother thinks charms is a soft option, mumbled Neville. Take charms, said Professor McGonagall, and I shall drop Augusta a line reminding her that just because she failed her charms, owl, the subject is not necessarily worthless. Smiling slightly at the look of delighted incredulity on Neville's face, Professor McGonagall tapped a blank schedule with the tip of her wand and handed it, now carrying details of his new classes to Neville. Professor McGonagall turned next to Parvati turned next to poverty what a struggle professor mcgonagall turned next to poverty patil i hope i'm saying that with the right some emphasis because for a long time i was like parvati but then i watched survivor and her name is parvati and i was like say what (laughs) okay sorry I feel like I might have said that before, but truly it's hard for me to read because my brain is just doofy. <sighs> Professor McGonagall, I turn next to Poverty Patel, whose first question was whether friends, friends, the handsome centaur was still teaching divination. He and Professor Trelawney are dividing classes between them this year, said Professor McGonagall, a hint of disapproval in her voice. It was common knowledge that she despised the subject of divination. The sixth year is being taken by Professor Trelawney. Poverty set off for divination five minutes later, looking slightly crestfallen. So, Potter, Potter, said Professor McGonagall, consulting her notes as she turned to Harry. Charms, defense against the dark arts, herbology, transfiguration, all fine, I must say. I was pleased with your transfiguration, Mark Potter, very pleased. Now, why haven't you applied to continue with potions? I thought it was your ambition to become an auror. It was, but you told me I had to get an outstanding in my owl, Professor. And so you did when Professor Snape was teaching the subject. Professor Slughound, however, however, is particularly happy to accept newt students with exceeds expectations at owl. Do you wish to proceed with potions? (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why. I feel like I'm not doing it any justice. I'm sorry. Yes, said Harry. But I didn't buy the books or any ingredients or anything. I'm sure Professor Slughorn will be able to lend you some, said Professor McGonagall. Very well, Potter. Here is your schedule. Oh, by the way, twenty hopefuls have already put down their names for the Gryffindor Quidditch team. I shall pass the list to you in due course, and you can fix up trials at your leisure. A few minutes later, Ron was cleared to do the same subjects as Harry, and the two of them left the table together. Look, said Ron delightedly, gazing at his schedule. We've got a free period now, and a free period after break, and after lunch. Excellent! They returned to the common room, which was empty apart from a half-dozen seventh-years, including Katie Bell, the only remaining member of the original Gryffindor Quidditch team that Harry had joined in his first year. "'I thought you'd get that. Well done,' she called over, pointing at the captain's badge on Harry's chest. "'Tell me when you call trials.' "'Don't be stupid,' says Harry. "'You—' "'What is—' "'I feel like my—' "'I don't know, maybe this wine just hit me.' <laughs> "'Don't be stupid,' said Harry.' You don't need to try out. I've watched you play for five years. You mustn't start off like that, she said warningly. For all you know, there's someone much better than me out there. 
Good teams have been ruined before now because captains just kept playing the old faces or letting in their friends. Ron looked a little uncomfortable and began playing with the fanged frisbee Hermione had taken from the fourth-year student. It zoomed around the common room, snarling and attempting to take bites of the tapestry. Crookshanks's yellow eyes followed it, and he hissed when it came too close. An hour later, they reluctantly left the sunlit common room for the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom four floors below. Hermione was already queuing outside, carrying an an armful of heavy books and looking put upon. We've got so much homework for runes, she said anxiously when Harry and Ron joined her. A 15-inch essay, two translations, and I've got to read these by Wednesday. Shame, yawned Ron. You wait, she said resentfully. I bet Snape gives us loads. The classroom door opened as she spoke, and Snape stepped into the corridor, his sallow face framed as ever by two curtains of greasy black hair. Silence fell over the queue immediately. Inside, he said. Harry looked around as they entered. Snape had imposed his personality upon the room already. It was gloomier than usual, as curtains had been drawn over the windows, and was lit by candlelight. (laughs) New pictures adorned the walls, many of them showing people who appeared to be in pain, sporting grisly injuries or strangely contorted, contorted, (laughs) contorted body parts. Nobody spoke as they settled down, looking around at the shadowy, gruesome pictures. I have not asked you to take out your books, said Snape, closing the door and moving to face the class from behind his desk. Hermione hastily dropped her copy of Confronting the Faceless behind, uh, behind, what? Back into her bag and stowed it under her chair. I wish to speak to you and I want your fullest attention. His black eyes roved over their upturned faces, lingering for a fraction of a second longer on Harry's than anyone else's. You have had five teachers in this subject so far, I believe. You believe? Like you haven't watched them all come and go, Snape, hoping you'd be next, thought Harry scathingly. Naturally, these teachers will all have had their own methods and priorities. Given this confusion, I am surprised so many of you scraped an owl in this subject. I shall be even more surprised if all of you manage to keep up with newt work, which will be much more advanced. Snape set off around the edge of the room, speaking now in a lower voice. The class craned their necks to keep him in view. The dark arts, said Snape are many varied, ever-changing, and eternal. Fighting them is like fighting a many-headed monster, which, each time a neck is severed, sprouts a head even fiercer and cleverer than before. You are fighting that which is unfixed, mutating, indestructible. Here he stared at Snape. It was surely one thing to respect the dark arts as a dangerous enemy, Another to speak of them, as Snape was doing, with a loving caress in his voice. Your defenses, said Snape a little louder, must therefore be as flexible and inventive as the arts you seek to undo. These pictures, he indicated a few of them as he swept past, give a fair representation of what happens to those who suffer, for instance. The Cruciatus Curse. He waved a wand toward a witch who was clearly shrieking in agony. Feel the Dementor's kiss. A wizard lying huddled and blank-eyed slumped against a wall. Or provoke the aggression of the Inferius. A bloody mass upon the ground. Has an Inferius been seen, then? Said... Oh. An Inferius. Inferi. Is that the same thing? I don't understand. What? Has an Inferius been seen yet then? Said Parvati Patil in a high-pitched voice. Oh, I didn't say it very high-pitched, did I? Has an Inferius been seen then? Said Parvati Patil in a high-pitched voice. Is it definite? Is he using them? (laughs) Sorry. The Dark Lord has used Inferi in the past. Said, oh, okay. I should just... Honestly, I just need to wait a second. Answer my question. Sorry.
The Dark Lord has used Inferi in the past, said Snape, which means you would be well advised to assume he might use them again. Now. He set off again around the other side of the classroom toward his desk, and again they watched him as he walked, his dark robes billowing behind him. You are, I believe, complete novices in the use of nonverbal spells. What is the advantage of a nonverbal spell? Hermione's hand shot into the air. Snape looked. What are you saying, Monica? Snape took his time looking around at everybody else, making sure he had no choice before saying curtly, Very well, Miss Granger. Your adversary has no warning about what kind of magic you're about to perform, said Hermione, which gives you a split-second advantage. An answer copied almost word for word from the Standard Book of Spells, Grade 6, said Snape dismissively. Over in the corner, Malfoy sniggered. But correct in essentials. Yes, those who progress to use ma to using magic without shouting incantations gain an element of surprise in their spellcasting. Not all wizards can do this, of course. It is a question of concentration and mind power, which some, his gaze lingered maliciously upon Harry once more, lack. Harry knew Snape was thinking of their disastrous occlumency, occlumency, sorry, occlumency lessons of the previous year. He refused to drop his gaze, but glowered at Snape until Snape looked away. You will now divide, Snape went on, into pairs. One partner will attempt to jinx the other without speaking. The other will attempt to repel the jinx in equal silence. Carry on. Although Snape did not know it, Harry had taught at least half the class, everyone who had been a member of the DA, how to perform a shield charm the a shield charm the previous year. None of them had ever cast the spell without speaking, however. A reasonable amount of cheating ensued. Many people were merely whispering the incantation instead of saying it aloud. Typically, ten minutes on to... <laughs> Typically, ten minutes into the lesson, Hermione managed to repel Neville's, Neville's muttered jelly legs jinx without uttering a single word. A fear that would surely... I'm sorry, fear, girlfriend, and says feet. It's a feat That would surely have earned her twenty points for Gryffindor from any reasonable teacher, thought Harry bitterly, but which Snape ignored. He swept between them as they practiced, looking just as much like an overgrown bat as ever, lingering to watch Harry and Ron struggling with the task. Ron, who was supposed to be jinxing Harry, was purple in the <laughs> He was purple in the face, his lips tightly compressed to save himself from the temptation of <laughs> muttering the incantation. Harry had his wand raised, waiting on tenterhooks. Tenterhooks. What's a tenterhook? I don't know. His wand was raised, though, and it was waiting on tenterhawks to repel a jinx that seemed unlikely ever to come. Pathetic Weasley, said Snape after a while. Here, let me show you. He turned his wand on Harry so fast that Harry reacted instinctively. All thought of nonverbal spells forgotten, he yelled, Protego! His shield charm was so strong, Snape was knocked off balance and hit a desk. The whole class had looked around and now watched as Snape righted himself, scowling. Do you remember me telling you we are practicing non-verbal spells, Potter? Yes, said Harry stiffly. Yes, sir. There's no need to call me sir, Professor. The words had escaped him before he knew what he was saying. <laughs> oh, Harry, I know that I know that feel. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. You just get in big trouble when you say stuff like that. <laughs> Several people gasped, including Hermione. Behind Snape, however, Ron, Dean, and Seamus grinned appreciatively. Detention. Saturday night, my office, said Snape. I do not take cheek from anyone, Potter. Not even the chosen one. That was brilliant, Harry chortled Ron once they were slightly on their way to a break, sh to, to break a short while later. 
You really shouldn't have said it, said Hermione, frowning at Ron. What made you? He tried to jinx me in case you didn't notice, fumed Harry. I had enough of that during those occlumency lessons. Why doesn't he use another guinea pig for a change? What's Dumbledore playing at anyway, letting him teach defense? Did you hear him talking about the dark arts? He loves them. All that unfixed, indestructible stuff. Well, said Hermione, I thought he sounded a bit like you. Like me? Yes. When you were telling us what it's like to face Voldemort, you said it wasn't just... Oh my god, my throat. Let me take a sip of one. That'll solve everything. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. And yes, I'm drinking wine out of a copper cup. I'm classy. Okay. You said it wasn't just memorizing a bunch of spells. You said it was just you and your brains and your guts. Well, wasn't that Snape? Wasn't that what Snape was saying? <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, coronavirus. That it really isn't that what wasn't that what Snape was saying? That it really comes down to being brave and quick thinking. Harry was so disarmed that she had thought his words as well worth memorizing as the standard book of spells that he did not argue. Harry! Hey, Harry! Harry looked around. Jack Sloper, one of the beaters on last year's Gryffindor Quidditch team, was hurrying toward him holding a roll of parchment. For you, panted Sloper. Listen, I heard you're the new captain. When are you holding trials? I'm not sure yet, said Harry, thinking privately that Sloper would be very lucky to get back on the team. I'll let you know. Oh, right. I was hoping it would be this weekend. But Harry was not listening. He had just recognized the thin, slanting writing on the parchment. Leaving Sloper in mid-sentence, he hurried away with Ron and Hermione, unrolling the parchment as he went. Dear Harry, I would like to start our private lessons this Saturday. Kindly come along to my office at 8 p.m. I hope you are enjoying your first day back at school. Yours sincerely, Albus Dumbledore. P.S. I enjoy acid pops. He enjoys acid pops, said Ron, who had read the message over Harry's shoulder, who was looking perplexed. It's the password to get past the gargoyle outside his study, said Harry in a low voice. Oh. That wasn't very low of me. Whatever. Ha! Snape's not going to be pleased. I won't be able to do his detention. He, Ron, and Hermione spent the whole of break speculating on what Dumbledore would teach Harry. Ron thought it most likely to be spectacular jinxes and hexes of the type that Death Eaters would not know. Harry said such things were illegal, and thought it much more likely that Dumbledore wanted to teach Harry advanced defensive magic. After break... She went off to Arithmancy, while Harry and Ron returned to the common room, where they begrudgingly started Snape's homework. This turned out to be so complex that they still had not finished when Hermione joined them for their after-lunch free period, though she considerably speeded up the process. They had only just finished when the bell rang for the afternoon's double potions, and they beat the familiar path down to the dungeon classroom that had, for so long, been Snape's. When they arrived in the corridor... They saw that there were only a dozen people progressing to Newt level. Crab and Goyle had evidently failed to achieve the required owl grade, but four Slytherins had made it through, including Malfoy. Four Ravenclaws were there, and one Hufflepuff, Ernie McMillan, whom Harry liked despite his rather pompous manner. Harry said, I'm sorry, I don't know what this means, so I don't know how to repeat it, but Harry, Ernie said portentously, holding out his hand as Harry approached. Didn't get a chance to speak in defense against the dark arts this morning. Good lesson, I thought. But shield charms are old hat, of course, for us old D.A. legs. And how are you, Ron? Hermione? Before they could say more than fine, the dungeon door opened and Slughorn's belly preceded him out of the door. As they filed into the room, his great walrus mustache curved about his beaming mouth, and he greeted Harry and Sabini with particular enthusiasm. The dungeon was, most unusually, already full of vapors and odd smells. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sniffed interestedly as they passed large bubbling cauldrons. cauldrons. <laughs> 
The four Slytherins took a table together, as did the four Ravenclaws. This left Harry, Ron, and Hermione to share a table with Ernie. They chose the one nearest a gold-colored cauldron that was emitting one of the most seductive scents Harry had ever inhaled. Somehow it reminded him simultaneously of triacle tart, the woody smell of a broomstick handle, and something flowery he thought he might have smelled at the burrow. He found that he was breathing very slowly and deeply, and that the poison, poison, <laughs> the potion's fumes seemed to be filling him up like drink. A great contentment stole over him. He grinned across at Ron, who grinned back lazily. Ooh, I don't know how to make this potion. Now then, now then, now then. <laughs> what? Okay, sorry. I said I think that was three times. Said Slughorn, whose massive outline was quivering through the many shimmery, shimmering vapors. Scales out, everyone, in potion kits. And don't forget your copies of Advanced Potion Making. Sir, said Harry, raising his hand. Harry, my boy! I haven't got a book or scales or anything. Nor's Ron. We didn't realize we'd be able to do the newt, you see. Ah, yes, Professor McGonagall did mention. Not to worry, my dear boy, not to worry at all. You can use ingredients from the store cupboard today, and I'm sure we can lend you some scales. And we've got a small stock of old books here. They'll do until you can write to flourish and blots. Slughorn strode over to a corner cupboard, and after a moment's foraging, emerged with two very battered-looking copies of Advanced Potion Making by Libatious Borage, which he gave... <laughs> Libatious. That's what it says. I don't know how to pronounce it. He gave to Harry and Ron, along with the two sets of tarnished scales. Now then, said Slughorn, returning to the front of the class and inflating his already bulging chest, so that the buttons on his waistcoat threatened to burst off. I've prepared a few potions for you to have a look at, just out of interest, you know. These are the kind of thing you ought to be able to make after completing your newts. You ought to have heard of them, even if you haven't made them yet. Anyone tell me what this one is? He indicated the cauldron nearest the Slytherin table. Harry raised himself slightly in the seat and saw what looked like plain water boiling away inside. Hermione's well-practiced hand hit the air before anyone else's. Slughorn pointed at her. It's Veritaserum, a colorless, odorless potion that forces the drinker to tell the truth, said Hermione. Very good, very good, said Slughorn happily. Now, he continued, pointing at the cauldron nearest the Ravenclaw table, this one here is pretty well known, featured in a few ministry leaflets lately, too. Who can... Hermione's hand was fastest once more. It's Polyjuice Potion, sir, she said. Harry, too, had recognized the slow, bubbling, mud-like substance in the second cauldron, but, not but did not resent Hermione getting the credit for answering the question. She, after all, was the one who had succeeded in making it back in their second year. Excellent, excellent! Now, this one here, yes, my dear, said Slughorn, now looking slightly bemused as Hermione's hand punched the air again. It's amorent, it's amortentia, <laughs> it's amortentia. It is indeed. It seems almost foolish to ask, said Slughorn, who was looking mightily impressed. But I assume you know what it does. It's the most powerful love potion in the world, said Hermione. Quite right. You recognized it, I suppose, by its distinctive mother-of-pearl sheen. And the steam rising in characteristic spirals, said Hermione enthusiastically. And it's supposed to smell differently to each of us, according to what attracts us. And I can smell freshly mown grass and new parchment and... But she turned slightly pink and did not complete the sentence. May I ask your name, my dear? said Slughorn, ignoring Hermione's embarrassment. Hermione Granger, sir. Granger? Granger? Can you possibly be related to Hector Dagworth Granger, who founded the most extraordinary society of potioneers? No, I don't think so, sir. I'm muggle-born, you see. Harry saw Malfoy lean close to Knot and whisper something. Both of them sniggered, but Slughorn showed no dismay. On the contrary, he beamed and looked from Hermione to Harry, who was sitting next to her. 
Oh ho! One of my best friends is Muggleborn, and she's the best of our year. I'm assuming this is the very friend of whom you spoke, Harry? Yes, sir, said Harry. Well, well. Take twenty well-earned points for Gryffindor, Miss Granger, said Slughorn genially. Malfoy looked rather as he had done the time Hermione had punched him in the face. Hermione turned to Harry with a radiant expression and whispered, Do you really tell him I'm the best in the year? Oh, Harry! Well, what's so impressive about that? whispered Ron, who for some reason looked annoyed. You are the best in the year. I'd have told him so if he'd asked me. Hermione smiled, but made a shing gesture, so that they could, he so that they could hear what Slughorn was saying. Ron looked slightly disgruntled. Amarantia doesn't create really create love, of course. It is impossible to manufacture or imitate love. No, this will simply cause a powerful infatuation or obsession. It is probably the most dangerous and powerful potion in this room. Oh, yes, he said, nodding gravely at Malfoy and Knot, both of whom were smir who, both of whom were smirking skeptically. When you have seen as much of life as I have, you will not underestimate the power of obsessive love. And now, said Slughorn, it is time for us to start work. Sir, you haven't told us what's in this one, said Ernie McManlin, pointing at a bl small black cauldron standing on Slughorn's desk. The potion within was splashing about merrily. It was the color of molten gold, and large drops were leaping like goldfish above the surface, though not a particle had spilled. Oh ho, said Slughorn again. Harry was sure that Slughorn had not forgotten the potion at all, but had waited to be asked for dramatic effect. Yes, that, well, that one, ladies and gentlemen, is a most curious little potion called Felix Felicis. I take it, he turned, smiling to look at Hermione, who had let out an audible gasp, that you know what Fel Felix Felicis does, Miss Granger. It's liquid luck, said Hermione excitedly. It makes you lucky. The whole class seemed to sit up a little straighter. Now all Harry could see of Malfoy was the back of his sleek blonde head, because he was at least giving Slughorn his full and undivided attention. Quite right. Take another ten points for Gryffindor. Yes, it's a funny little potion, Felix Felicis, said Slughorn. Desperately tricky to make and disastrous to get wrong. However, if brewed correctly as this has been, you will find that all your endeavors tend to succeed, at least until the effects wear off. Why don't people drink it all the time, sir? said Her <laughs> said Terry Boot eagerly. Because, if taken in excess, it causes giddiness, recklessness, and dangerous overconfidence, said Slughorn. Too much of a good thing, you know. Highly toxic in large quantities, but taken sparingly and very occasionally. Have you ever taken it, sir? asked Michael Corner with great interest. Twice in my life, said Slughorn. Once when I was twenty-four, once when I was fifty-seven. Two tablespoons taken with breakfast. Two perfect days. He gazed dreamily into the distance. Whether he was play-acting or not, thought Harry, the effect was good. And that, said Slughorn, apparently coming back to Earth, is what I shall be offering as a prize in this lesson. There was silence in which every bubble and gurgle of the surmount surmounting, okay, surrounding potions seemed magnified tenfold. One tiny bottle of Felix Felicis, said Slughorn, taking a minuscule glass bottle with a cork in it out of his pocket and showing it to them all. Enough for twelve hours' luck, from dawn till dusk. You will be lucky in everything you attempt. Now, I must give you warning that Felix Felicis is a banned substance in organized competitions, sporting events, for instance, examinations, or elections. So the winner is to use it on an ordinary day only, and watch how that ordinary day becomes extraordinary. So, said Slughorn, suddenly brisk, how are you to win my fabulous prize? Well, by turning to page 10 of advanced potion making, we have a little over an hour left to us, which should be time for you to make a decent attempt at the draught of living death.
I know it is more complex than anything you have attempted before, and I do not expect a perfect potion from anybody. The person who does best, however, will win little Felix here. Off you go! There was a scraping as everyone drew their cauldrons toward them, and some loud clunks as people began adding weights to their scales. But nobody spoke. The concentration within the room was almost tangible. Harry saw Malfoy rifling feverishly through his copy of advanced potion-making. It could not have been clearer that Malfoy really wanted that lucky day. Harry bent swiftly over the tattered book Slughorn had lent him. To his annoyance, he saw that the previous owner had scribbled all over the pages, so that the margins were as black as the printed portions. Bending low to decipher the ingredients, even here the previous owner had made annotations and crossed things out. Harry hurried off toward the store cupboard to find what he needed. As he dashed back to his cauldron, he saw Malfoy cutting up valerian roots as fast as he could. Everyone kept glancing around at what the rest of the class was doing. <clears throat> this was both an advantage and a disadvantage of potions. That it was hard to keep your work private. Within ten minutes, the whole place was full of bluish steam. Hermione, of course, seemed to have progressed furthest. Her potion already resembled the smooth, black, currant-colored liquid mentioned as the ideal halfway stage. Having finished chopping his roots, Harry bent low over his book again. It was really very irritating having to try and decipher the directions under all the stupid scribbles of the previous owner, who for some reason had taken issue with the order to cut up the sopophorus... Sopophorus? Sopophorus? I don't know, bean, and had written in the alternative instruction... Crushed with flat side of silver dagger, releases juice better than cutting. Sir, I think you knew my grandfather, Abraxas Malfoy. Harry looked up. Slughorn was just passing the Slytherin table. Yes, said Slughorn, without looking at Malfoy. I was sorry to hear he had died, although, of course, it wasn't unexpected. Dragonpox at his age. And he walked away. Harry bent back over his cauldron, smirking. He could tell that Malfoy had expected to be treated like Harry or Zabini, perhaps even hoped for some preferential treatment of the type he had learned to expect from Snape. It looked as though Malfoy would have, <clears throat> sorry, would have to rely on nothing but talent to win the bottle of Felix Felicis. The sopophorous bean was proving very difficult to cut up. Harry turned to Hermione. Can I borrow your silver knife? She nodded impatiently, not taking her eyes off her potion, which was still deep purple, though according to the book ought to be turning a light shade of lilac by now. Harry crushed his bean with the flat side of the dagger. To his astonishment, it immediately exuded so much juice he was amazed the shriveled bean could have held it at all. Could have held it all. Hastily scooping it all into the cauldron, he saw, to his surprise, that the potion immediately turned exactly the shade of lilac described by the textbook. His annoyance with the previous owner vanishing on the spot, Harry now squinted at the next line of instructions. According to the book, he had to stir counterclockwise until the potion turned clear as water. According to the addition the previous owner had made, however, he ought to add a clockwise stir every after every seventh counterclockwise stir. Could the old owner be right twice? Harry stirred counterclockwise, held his breath, and stirred once clockwise. The effect was immediate. The potion turned palest pink. How are you doing that? demanded Hermione, who was red-faced and whose hair was growing bushier and bushier in the fumes from her cauldron. Her potion was still resolutely purple. At a clockwise stir, no, no, the book says counterclockwise, she snapped. Harry shrugged and continued what he was doing. Seven stirs counterclockwise, one clockwise. Pause. Seven stirs counterclockwise, one stir clockwise. Across the table, Ron was cursing fluently under his breath. His potion looked like liquid licorice. What does that mean? This is like red licorice we're talking? Like anise? Is that what you use to make licorice? I don't know if that's what gives it the red color, though. I. Okay, anyway. Harry glanced around. As far as he could see, no one else's potion had turned as pale as his. He felt elated, something that had certainly never happened before in this dungeon. And time's up, called Slughorn. Stop stirring, please. Slughorn moved slowly among the tables, peering into cauldrons. He made no comment, but occasionally gave the potions a stir or a sniff. At last, he reached the table where Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ernie were sitting. He smiled ruefully at the tar-like substance in Ron's cauldron. He passed over Ernie's 
navy concoction. Hermione's potion had gave. I'm sorry. Hermione's potion he gave an approving nod. Then he saw Harry's, and a look of incredulous, incredulous delight spread over his face. The clear winner, he cried to the dungeon. Excellent, excellent, Harry. Good Lord, it's clear you've inherited your mother's talent. She was a dab hand at potions, Lily was. Here you are, then. Here you are. One bottle of Felix Felicis, as promised. And use it well. Harry slipped the tiny bottle of liquid gold into his inner pockets, feeling an odd combination of delight at the furious looks on the Slytherin's faces and guilt at the disappointed expression on Hermione's. Ron looked simply dumbfounded. How did you do that? He whispered to Harry as they left the dungeon. Got lucky, I suppose, said Harry, because Malfoy was within earshot. Once they were securely ensconced at the Gryffindor table for dinner, however, he felt safe enough to tell them. Hermione's face became stonier with every word he uttered. I suppose you think I cheated, he finished, aggravated by her expression. Well, it wasn't exactly your own work, was it? She said stiffly. He only followed different instructions to ours, said Ron. Could have been a catastrophe, couldn't it? But he took a risk and it paid off. <sighs> he sighed. He, he, I'm sorry, he heaved a sigh. Slughorn could have handed me that book, but no. I get the one, I get the one who no one's ever written on. Puked on by the look of page 52, but... Hang on, said a voice close by Harry's left ear, and he caught a sudden waft of that flowery smell he had picked up on in Slughorn's dungeon. He looked around and saw that Ginny had joined them. Did I hear right? You've been taking orders from something someone wrote in a book, Harry? She looked alarmed and angry. Harry knew what was on her mind at once. It's nothing, he said reassuring, reassuringly, lowering his voice. It's not like, you know, Riddle's diary. It's just an old textbook somebody scribbled on. But you're doing what it says? I just tried a few of the tips written in the margins, honestly, Jenny. There's nothing funny. Jenny's got a point, said Hermione, perking up at once. We ought to check that there's nothing odd about it. I mean, all these funny instructions, who knows? Hey, said Harry indignantly, as she pulled his copy of advanced potion making out of his bag and raised her wand. Specialis Revelio, she said, wrapping it smartly on the front cover. Nothing whatsoever happened. The book simply lay there, looking old and dirty and dog-eared. Finished, said Harry irritably, or do you want to wait and see if it does a few backflips? It seems all right, said Hermione, still staring at the book suspiciously. I mean, it really does seem to be just a textbook. Good, then I'll have it back, said Harry, snatching it off the table but it slipped from his hand and landed open on the floor. Nobody else was looking. Harry bent low to retrieve the book, and as he did so, he saw something scribbled along the bottom of the back cover in the same small, cramped handwriting as the instructions that had won him his bottle of Felix Felicis, now safely hidden inside a pair of socks in his trunk upstairs. This book is the property of the Half-Blood Prince. And that... Is an end of chapter nine.